so guys, uh, we obviously, I wanted to say something about this because I'm going to ask you to do something, not just here, but going on into the next week. So uh, you can see the temporary air conditioning units that we have back there. A little backstory. Um, so uh, if you know anything about the construction industry right now, um, new, we need like two new AC units right now. Uh, I have clients that have restaurants fully built that can't open because they can't get AC units because of supply chain. 52-week lead. Um, so they're telling us like 42 weeks right now. So on new units, I do not accept that. I, I mean, yeah, come on, brother. Brother Love, that is not a good word. He actually is Brother Love. If you have not met Keith Love and his lovely wife, you got to get it. Get you some. Get you some love. I got some. Just saying. So here's what I want to do. I want really quickly before we go, I'm going to pray for the message, but I want to pray over air conditioning. And I don't just want to pray over air conditioning for here. I want to pray over air conditioning over every place in this city that needs it. And that includes the houses that don't have it where people are suffering right now because of this extraordinary climate that we live in, right? So it's not just about this house. It's about every house. And so if you would just stretch your hands out toward heaven, we're going to put a demand because we are the people of God, we have authority to speak to this mountain and say, be moved, thrown into the ocean. And we do that in the name of Jesus Christ right now. We call in an extraordinary release of commercial air conditioning units and residential air conditioning units and a loosening of all the parts necessary to maintain them, to keep them. Lord, I call in the resources for families, for churches, for businesses, for everyone here, additional resource to meet the need of the expense that it costs to do this thing. And we just speak to that in the name of Jesus Christ. We do not accept the report of the enemy that is less than the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. So I'm going to ask you to pray that repetitively um, over, over this next week or two here. And I'm, I'm going to ask you also to pay attention to social media or the news, local news, whatever it is, and look expectantly for the goodness of God to be revealed. So many times we pray and we throw it back out there and we're like, well, that didn't happen. And we're like, expectancy is not momentary. Expectancy is a positional state where we decide I will live in expectancy of the goodness of God. David said, I would have despaired if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So a lot of times we end up living in this sort of cyclical, I, I'm expecting, and then we do leave, and we go to despair. Because David said I would have despaired, right? That's the natural thing. When there isn't the expectance of the goodness of God that transcends the possibility of man, we need the impossibility of God. 
We don't need the possibility of man right now, not in our nation, not in our lives, not in our families, not in our marriages, not in our children. We do not need the possibility of man. We need the impossibility of God. And if we can decide, by the way, it's a decision, not a feeling. Feelings will follow it. But it is a decision to position yourself in expectancy of the goodness of God. And so just, just the, that and whatever else it is that you need a move of God on. All of us have places. I have places in my life. We'll talk about some of them today. So Chris asked me because of the, of the you know, air conditioning problem and whatnot if I could just you know, be brief. And so I said, I keep it under two hours. <laughs> All right. I promise you that was mostly a joke. It was mostly a joke. So how many of you brought Bibles? Hallelujah. Go to John chapter 5 and stick your finger in there. So just a wee little bit of background, um, this context around this message. First of all, I rarely am very good. I, I, I can teach if it's just sort of academically. I can teach whatever somebody asks me to teach if I have enough time to prepare. But I can rarely preach unless it's someplace that the blood's all over me. Some place where I have bumps and bruises and scars and, and all of those sorts of things all over me. I, don't, I just don't preach well sort of rhetorically or, you know, theoretically. I think that our Christianity ought to be something that is raw and authentic. We, 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 we struggle not because we are evil, but because we want to be good. We struggle because we want to appear good amongst other people that we believe are good. It's the problem with social media. Everybody is glowing. Or they're in a pit of despair. And so you, you either identify with the pit or you def- identify with this sort of manufactured, <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it's, it's so funny. It's like, what about the normal people? I don't know if you, you spend like any time. I, I got rid of Instagram and, and all that stuff. And I'm just about, I'm a hair's breadth from getting rid of, of Facebook. Um, and there's many reasons for that. Come ask me. Because it's not what you think. Um, and, and there isn't the time for it here. Oh my goodness. Wow. Can you send the presence of the Lord? Yes. Yes. Hey. Holy Spirit, sir. I invite you. Hey. So the context for what I'm going to share today is, is out of the crucible of my last six, eight months. And Tony can speak to this because we've talked about it a great deal. About six months ago, whatever, January, nine months, I guess it's longer than that, isn't it now? Time keeps passing, strangely enough, because I don't look at my own face in the mirror because I don't want to see what's happening. So, but beginning of the year, I transitioned away from a company that I'd been in about 13 years in, a, in an industry and, and transitioned to another company. And, and I have a particular set of, of uh, experience and skills, um, a little bit like Liam Neeson, 
Yeah, yeah, not really. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I'll try. Don't get me wrong. We Norwegians, we don't always win, but we love to get dirty. And we're very stubborn about it. So I, I made this move away from this thing, and I had a team of about 200 people that I was working with. And, and so I, I had had in my heart for a very long time um, actually, about 15 years ago, I felt the Lord just kind of drop this vision in, and I thought it was for that time. And uh, I had I had a, a team of guys that I was going to bring along with me. We were going to do this thing together and do this consulting firm, and and I had this vision for this thing. And and I thought it was for 15 years ago when I got the vision, and what I realized was the Lord was just about to take me into the crucible and make me ready for that thing. It took about 15 years to get to that place. So first of the year, I kind of made a transition out of this thing and began to move more toward, look, what, what, I was, what I felt like the Lord had crafted me to do. And so what I do, in just this is context for where we're going. So what I do is, is I work with companies, usually companies, ministries, whatever, that have cognitive dissonance between what shows to the customer or the client, you out here, it's wonderful. And I work with the man behind the curtain so that there is, begins to be an alignment between those things. That's called integrity, by the way. What you see on the front is what you get on the back. That's, that's the engineering term, integrity. When we talk about the integrity of a, of a structural member, Tony can speak to that. You, the, the integrity of it is that what you see on the face of the beam is the strength that goes entirely through that structural member. Right? So that, that is something that, and I discovered over the years and years and years that it being in, involved in leadership and ministries and companies that, that frequently... There is this wonderful picture on the outside and behind the scenes, there's just this running and screaming, dying, blood, destruction of relationships. And you have people teaching on marriage and family and all these things and their staff is dying. And so, the, the, you know, right? And so long as people give, we keep going. But God has something different in mind. He's calling us to integrity. So this, this, this is the thing. And so I started working with another company. I love startups. I love companies that are really small. So two years ago, this company had about six people. And now there's 52 in two years. That's the growth pattern. And so like when I, I, I sat down at the beginning of the year and, and the Lord had, be, had been dropping this thing in John chapter 5 into my heart over and over and over again. There were prophetic people saying it. There were things I was reading that were coming along. You ever have one of those things where you've read a verse a lot of times and, you've, and you know a principle, but it doesn't like come home and transform you until the timing of the Lord is right? Right now, I'm not saying that the Lord went, wanted to wait till I was 55 years old to <laughs> to set me loose in a little bit of truth, but I am saying that I wasn't ready for it. And so, John chapter five, and we'll start here. And there's going to be a bunch of jumping around, and I'm going to do this quickly. I promise. I don't know it because I must be moving a lot because suddenly it's warmer in here, and it's it's humid. I feel humidified. John chapter 5, verse 18. Now, the 
Context is so important in scripture. Jesus right here in John chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus is coming out of, they've been, this is the middle of them razzing him and giving him a hard time because he healed the man at the pool who couldn't get in the pool, who couldn't get healed, said that the angel stirs the water, I can't get in there in time. He's just healed this dude. It's the Sabbath. And he told him to take up his mat and walk. That, don't, don't do that at the religious church. Right? He said, raise your hands and worship. Stop that right now. Right? So he, he's just come out of this place right here in John chapter 5 and beginning verse 18. It says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were, actually, I'm going to start in 17. But he answered them, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And verse 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, he was offending the religious folks, but he also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And in verse 19, this is the thing where God began to grab a hold of me and just shift something inside of me. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing, say nothing, of himself, unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. The thing is important, and the way is equally important. The Father has a thing that he is doing, and he has a way that he is doing it. His ways never, say never, Never. his ways never stand in contradiction to his character as revealed in the word of God. It's very important to say as revealed in the word of God. Everybody has an opinion about what they think God's character is. Do not fall into the trap of letting culture or society, determine for you what God looks like. You will spend your time chasing shadows. God never stands opposed to his character as revealed in the word. Now, does that mean we understand everything that's in here? No, but it also means we don't throw any of it out. We have to be willing to live in the tension of some things that we don't understand yet. And that's okay. Because he is God. And we are not. My goodness, I'm grateful for that. So that's one of the verses. Go over to John chapter 12. Still in John. I, I uh, remember years ago, I was so gratified to learn that um, at least one thing I shared in, in common with Bill Johnson who is probably my hero. Um, and, and that was that he lives in the book of John. <laughs> and I, my book of John is, is shredded. So, uh, chapter 12, verse 49 and 50. Here's Jesus again. Now he's talking about this. The mouth, right? He's talking about what he says. First, verse 519, 
It's about what he does and the way that he does it. This verse, what he says, for I did not speak on my own initiative. Salah. For those of you, I added that. But the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So beginning in January, when I started working with this new team, I, I began to realize that I was going to have to oppose myself. because I had a lot of experience and I had a little expertise. But I only needed his experience, his expertise, and his words. Now, there's a lot of things in the church that have been said about spiritual disciplines over time. And we, we, we alternately are like, I don't like discipline. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be that way. It should just be the joy. There is a place to say to yourself. Um, I used to tell my kids, they would come in and say, I want that. I'd say, tell yourself no. My son will still tell you, my, old, my grown son, right? He will tell you, dad said, tell yourself no. <laughs> tell yourself no. Because frequently no one else is there to do it. Right? So... I began to do this thing. And guys, there's no ivory tower. I'm living in the midst of the blood and guts of this right now. I have to have this decisional discussion with myself every single day. Not once a week. Not once a month. Every day. And I get up in the morning. And I, sometimes I get, you know, one or however, two hours with the Lord if I, manage to have no other children get up or anything else. Sometimes I'll get away with that. And sometimes it's just, I get a half hour on the way to work to pray. But I decisionally and on purpose, volitionally, I, there's intentionality about your walk with God. It is not happenstance. I, I, don't, I don't know if you heard me. There is nothing happenstance about your walk with God. If there is, then none of you will stay married or have boyfriends or girlfriends or jobs or anything. You're intentional about the things that matter in your life. You sow seed into something that you expect to return on. And God is really fertile ground. If you sow seed into that space, and so I began to say to myself, I'm going to sit with the Lord. And here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to break out my spreadsheets and my planning and all the things that I have. And when I work with a company, I, I build out like all these strategic documents and all this stuff that goes on so that we have vision because I have people and I'm developing people. We're, have, we're just, we're all, right? I'm not going to sit with them with that. It doesn't exist in this space. In fact, I'm not going to build them until 
I know what he's doing. How he's going to do it. And I know what he's saying. And daily I begin to ask him that question. I mean, literally ask him that question. And I would say to him, I just sit in front of him and go, I trust you. I trust you. Only what you're doing. Only the way you're doing it. And only what you're saying. There can be nothing else. Now, I don't execute that perfectly. But I can tell you, as I've done that, one of the things that's been fabulous for me is that the Lord has shortened the leash on me. You ever notice this thing? You get in a place with the Lord, and, and, and like he, it's like being a little dog. Got the little retractable thingy going on, you know, and way out there. And you got all sort of latitude to get off course and into trouble. And I'm getting to the place where I am repeating to my own heart that I want to heal. I want to be right here. I don't want to be out there. Because he's back here. How am I supposed to know what I'm doing out here? I'm not dragging him on the leash. I'm walking with him. And I'm going, what's, where'd you step? I'm going to, okay, I'm, same speed? I want to heal. Those of you who don't have dogs, you have no idea what I just said. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Google it. So only, and, and I began to, to discipline myself to do this. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing, and I'm, I'm going to jack this up in, in, in terms of, of speed here. The Lord took me over into Genesis, and we're going to go there, Genesis chapter 25. And uh, I'm going to read a little section here just for context, and then pull some very careful things out. Um, I encourage you to read through Genesis with the expectation that the Lord has prophetic insight and impetus over your life hidden in here. And if, like air conditioning units your expectation is repeatedly set that he has something to say to you, not just that you have something to say to him, because it is a conversation and we can, we can run afoul of that and just speak, 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 speak. I'm out. I'm going to have lunch now. <laughs> Let me know when you get back to me. Right? But if you set your expectation when you enter the word of God, and say, look, there's going to be something in here that's, that, that is prescient to my self, my country, my space in my country. And by country, I don't necessarily mean this, this country, your nation. I mean your sphere of influence, right? Around you, right? The place you are around you. Every single one of you are leaders, by the way. Yes. If, if, if you think you're not a leader, then you need to get in here. And you also need to read a book by John Maxwell called The 360 Leader. 
Yes. Just do that. All of you, why are you not writing that down? You should be writing it down right now. This, is, this will change your life. The 360-degree leader, you lead horizontally, you lead above, you lead belief, but belief, which is a great word. You lead 360 degrees all around you. doesn't matter what position you are. What's your leadership? I tell my kids all the time, you're a leader. You lead your sister. You even get to lead me. So this is the story of Jacob and Esau. And I'm going to start in verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Now, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to just drop. I'm not going to use them all here because we're not going to take the time. But I'm going to just, in your phone a little scrap of paper that you've got tucked in your Bible, wherever I want you to, to there's some words that I'm going to just flag for you because there's prophetic things tied up in them. And if you go and search them out in terms of the Bible, in terms of scripture, and you sit with them and pray over them, God's going to change some stuff in your paradigm. He's going to do it. All right, so I'll drop them in. Keep track of them in your head if, you, if you're really good. I am not that good. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, right? Barren down. And the Lord answered him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived, flag conceived, or underline it in your Bible. Those of you who have digital Bibles, I'm so sorry. But the children struggled together within her. Another place. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? And she went to inquire, that's important, of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered will fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. He was an orangutan. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not in there. I added that right there. I mean, how, how, come on. I mean, come on, man. I... That's been stuck in my craw my entire life in the Bible. Like, he's a red and furry when he comes out. I mean, kids, like, they're not pretty, really, when they come out. They're... Bad things have happened to them. Like, their first experience is harrowing and narrowing. All right. Yeah, I know. I'll be here all week. Right? So he's red all over, and he's a hairy bugger right? Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding onto his heel. I just would pay money to have seen this. Maybe not. Maybe not. So I had five kids and I was present. Mm-mm, I'm done. Um, so his name was called Jacob and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. And the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Esau was daddy's boy. Isaac was a mama's boy. When Jacob had cooked stew, now here's, Esau can go get the game, but he can't make it. Jacob can make the stew. 
All right? Just sit with that for a bit. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau comes in from the field, and he's famished. Now, that word famished right there does not mean like, gosh, I just better have a burger sometime this afternoon. This is like, (laughs) I'll never eat again. Like my cats when their bowl is half empty. Right? So, and Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. He's also not a man of, like, eloquence. That red stuff there, for I am famished. And actually, that's why they call him Edom and the Edomites, because red, you know. So, look, the guy, this whole conversation right here follows Esau around for a long time. Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Okay, Jacob is like one of the very first salesmen. He's like, I've worked with sales teams for years. Jacob just like goes for the juglar right here. Yes, I know. That's not how you pronounce that. First, sell me your birthright. Esau says, behold, I'm about to die. He's also just a wee bit dramatic. Of what use is a birthright to me? It's, get a hold of that right there. Don't let that just go past you. Of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gives him bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Powerful statement to close. Thus Esau despised his birthright. In Jeremiah chapter 15, there is a scripture where God is speaking to Jeremiah and he says this thing, and it's been stuck in my craw. I have a lot of things stuck in my craw. It's some of the thinking for years and years and years and years. Stuck in my craw in a good way. God says to Jeremiah, he says, if you will extract the precious from the worthless, then you will be my spokesman. And before me, you will stand. Now, I don't know about you, but the circle just closed a little bit. Not fully, but a little bit, because I am sitting before the Lord and saying, only what you do in the way that you do it, and only what you say. If you extract the precious from the worthless, then you will be my, say it loud, spokesman. You will speak for me. Jesus said, I only say what God said. I'm asking the Lord, how do I only say what you're saying? And God says to Jeremiah, if you extract the precious from the midst of the worthless, you will be my spokesman. 
and before me you will stand. Sometimes we read verses like that and we get caught up with the word worthless and we think that it means trash. And it doesn't. Life isn't like that. There are a lot of things that when you distill down your relationship with the Lord and you sit with him and you say, I choose to remain motionless until I know what you're doing. Interestingly, in that section of scripture, further down, Jesus says, the Father, in case you're wondering if God's going to leave you hanging, Jesus says, the Father tells me everything he's doing so that I can do wonders for you. So Jesus has this absolute confidence and he can say, he can throw himself out in expectation and say, I will only do what the Father is doing. I will only say what the Father is saying because the Father tells me everything that I need to know. Now, if, if we refuse to act in presumption or out of our own design, if we refuse at that place to do that and we say, I'm only going to move in the way the Father does, doing what the Father says, saying what the Father says, then suddenly I begin to extract what is precious because what he has said and what he is doing is what's precious. Everything else is worth less. It's not devoid of value. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's less. Why do you think there are scripture in the New Testament where Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable? I'm able to do anything, but I won't be mastered by any of it. Because there is precious and there is worth less. Here's the rub for those of us who are in business which is all of you, by the way. You, you may not know it, but you are. Because we're all deciding to invest and build. Might be your family. Call it your family trust. Call it whatever it is, but you're investing in your building. That's a business. There's income. There's outgo. Some of us wish there were less outgo and more income. Those of us that are in business, we're going, how, 
some of the things that God, we're like, I've got a solution to this. I tell you what, I get up in the morning, I'm like, okay, I'm going to face this today, whatever it is, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And, and, and every day, you know, doing what I do, every day is like, it's like a, a salad. You just never know what somebody chopped up and put in there until you get there. And suddenly it pops up and you go, oh, got to have a solution for this. I got to do something with this. Now, if I haven't set my expectation that God is going to let me know, show me what he's doing in the midst of that situation, then I'm paralyzed. One of two things happens. Either I do nothing and don't get trapped in business. This can be your family, your marriage, your children, anything. Either I'm paralyzed and I do nothing and I don't act. And by the way, that's not godly. Or I act in presumption and I use my best ideas. And even if they're great ideas, they're worth less than the precious. And the precious is what he's doing, what he's saying, in the way that he does it and says it. So, here's the truth. If you're in here today and you've never met Jesus, thanks, Justin. I love preaching mostly because I get to hear other people play at the end. It's awesome. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about praying the sinner's prayer, which, by the way, isn't in the Bible. A lot of our evangelistic things are created around having to be able to manage big meetings and keep track of who's converted. The model for people to be converted is by power, the revelation of the power of God. He shows up to confirm his word and to demonstrate his love and intention over you. And number two, in relationship. Evangelism happens in a messy space that's dangerous. To get close enough to get hurt, take the time to be vulnerable enough, to be close enough where all the bad smells happen and it's not clean yeah the prayer team can come up so if you've never entered into that place where you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing that I just said to you will make any sense because it can't it, 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 it is literally entirely grounded in Jesus Christ. Now, it can make sense to only you and not all the people around you, right? When it starts to walk out. But if you haven't made the decision to enter in and, and set your expectancy that the goodness of God is better than anything you've imagined, he's been pursuing you since he formed you in your mother's womb. That's where you got your value. And by the way, he set your value at limitless. 
you are without price. He paid the highest price for you. He paid himself. Every single person in this place was purchased. Now, not necessarily everybody accepts that, but every single person in this place was purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. So if, if you've never made a decision to just simply take the first step and give your life to Jesus, I would encourage you to take the opportunity to come up here and talk to one of these great people here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Second thing, we're going to pray and close. Uh, If you are at a place where you recognize that you've been working your plan and asking God to bless it, I'm preaching to myself. If you're in a place where you feel like you've, where, where you recognize that you've said, you, you get up and you're like, God, I need your help with this today. And I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. It's a good prayer. We face real circumstance and we have to pray that way. But that prayer can morph into the place where we say, God, I have this situation. I really need to know what you want to do about it. Do you have something to say about this? And then you start to pray along with that. If that's the place that you find yourself where you recognize, man, I, I've, I've built a great plan. And in today's day and age, we do a lot of preaching about dreams and visions and destiny and all those sorts of things. And, and that, that, that I'm not the person that can tell you what the, what the breaking line is in that. Only you can. And it's in relationship with just you and Jesus. It's a conversation, right? Because once you know what the Lord is doing, you can go after that. And on the outside, it might not look terribly different. But on the inside, it will. And the calling card is exhaustion. If it's your plan, He doesn't resource it. William Paul Young, I'll close with this story. William Paul Young told this story. He'd say, every morning I get up and and the Holy Spirit, who's very enthusiastic, Holy Spirit says to me, Paul, today, are we going to work your plan or are we going to work our plan? And he says, sometimes I say, I have a great plan. I got this one. Lord says, well, I said I'd never leave you or forsake you, so I'm going to be right with you. But you're going to have to resource this yourself because I can't resource your plan. And at the end of the day, (laughs) beat to death, tired, exhausted, maybe some success, but not what you wanted and whatever else. The next morning gets up, Holy Spirit says, Paul, today, same question, we're going to work your plan? We're going to work our plan. And if for some reason Paul Young ever watches this and I've just butchered it, I so apologize. He says, no, we'll we'll work our plan. So if you're in that place where you've been working your own plan, you know God, but you, 
you find yourself more in that place where you're asking him to bless your plan instead of waiting on him for his and his ways to do it. Then I invite you to come up, get some prayer. Even just stand at the altar as, as Justin plays and, and do it. Doesn't You don't have to be up here, fall on your face and take an hour. Just just give yourself out. Take, have the chance to give yourself over to that for a minute. So Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray over this, over all of us, myself included, that Father, there would be this place where we trust you. And we stretch out our expectation that there's something more powerful, more profound, more grounded in you, more effective to change the course of history, both our history and the history that we are in the midst of the fabric of. We look expectantly toward you. We set our face to be your kids and to wait on you. In Jesus' name, all the people together said, amen. All right. So...